Welcome to the WP Tonic Podcast, brought to you by WPTonic.com, a WordPress maintenance and support service for business owners. We talk to the leaders in WordPress, business, and online marketing communities, bringing you insights on how to grow your business and achieve success. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic Roundtable Show every Friday, live at 8 30 Pacific Standard Time. We have a round table show where I have an excellent panel and we just have a feast about WordPress and the internet in general. Um, I've got a really great panel this um, 4th of July week. It's been a strange week, hasn't it? Having the holiday on Wednesday and then having to go back to work yesterday. Um, just felt very strange. Um, but I've got a great panel. I'm going to let them introduce them. You might get some late panelists joining us later on during the show you never know um, I'm gonna let Sally introduce herself first certainly my name is Sally Getch <clears throat> I build uh, custom Genesis websites for growing businesses and nonprofits at wpfangirl.com and I'm the organizer of the East Bay WordPress meetup in Oakland California and it's a great meetup and we've got Chris like to introduce yourself to the audience and viewers Chris Yes, I'm Chris Badgett from Lifter LMS, which is a WordPress solution for creating, selling, and protecting courses. I'm also the host of the LMSCast podcast for course creators, and I'm helping organize WordCamp Portland, Maine, which is happening on November 3rd. Oh, great. That's great. And um, John, would you like to quickly introduce yourself to the viewers and listeners? Sure thing. My name is John Locke. My business is uh, lockdown design and SEO, and we help manufacturers and industrial companies with SEO. That's great. And my name is Jonathan Denwood. I'm the founder of WP Tonic. We're a WordPress maintenance support company with a specialization in learning management systems and membership websites. Um, before we go in to our stories, I just want to mention um, my main sponsor, which is. Kinsta, Kinsta Hosting. What can I say about Kinsta Hosting? Um, the WP Tonic website is hosted on Kinsta. The, um, some of my clients' sites are hosted with Kinsta. They're just fantastic. Great staging functionality, great UR, UX design. Um, basically, backup is really great. Staging site. You name it, they've got it. Latest versions, you've got all the choice of the latest versions of PHP. If you're a developer or you're looking for a rock-solid hosting provider, um, I can't recommend Kinsta more. And really, if you've got a membership site or a learning management system um, in that area, you should really look at Kinsta. Also, they've produced a couple of articles that are really great that explain why if you've got a um, a membership site you need better hosting so they've got some resources on their website if you're really interested in it go to the wp tonic website there's some affiliate links there if you use those you'll be helping the web helping wp tonic and um you'll be helping yourself right this goes i just want to i just want to add real quick i've been hearing some rumbles in the lift lms community of some of our power users have chosen kinsta for their projects and are very happy with it all oh, right. Thank so, you very much, Chris. Yeah. Thank you. Um, let's go into 
into things. Um, WordPress 4.98 introduces try Gutenberg call-out. Um, you want to start with that, John? Yeah, sure. Um, so that one, I think 4.97 dropped yesterday unexpectedly. Okay. I think it was published out there that uh, 4.97 was going to be released by the end of July, but that was actually for 4.98. Uh, and so the, there's going to be a uh, little banner up there that says Try Gutenberg. Aside from that, I know this last version had some security fixes. Uh, there are some other things coming up as we inch closer toward Gutenberg being rolled into core at some time in the future. What do you reckon, Chris? I think it's very interesting, but there's something that I just want to bring up which I call the dangerous middle, which is I'm an entrepreneur. I live in the future. I'm a marketer. But most of the clients and the people that use WordPress are not. They're small business owners or they're large companies, both of which don't necessarily live in the future. They kind of come later to the party. So the issue with Gutenberg right now is it's very, very much early days. And most of the market, in my opinion, is not going to try it out early. They're just going to kind of wait or they're going to be surprised by it because they don't even know it's coming. Um, so it's cool. I think it's cool for the people in the dangerous middle, the power users of WordPress and the advanced online business marketing people. But uh, it's going to be a shock to the system when it does roll out in mass. Well, I think that's probably why they're uh, trying to put the, you know, the, the try it out <laughs> message. I mean, they, they had been originally planning to put the, the Try Gutenberg message out back in April, I think, and they, they backed off of that because it, it really wasn't ready. And I think it is probably close enough to to ready that, you know, you can try installing it and not worry that, you know, everything that's already on your site is going to be broken or, or anything catastrophic like that. Um, now, how many people will try it before it's done? I, I think Chris is right about um, you know, most people being likely to be uh, more cautious on that subject. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, it, uh, having that there will, will help people know it's it's coming. And, you know, the reason that's in 9.8 and not in 9.7 is that there was all this flap about the uh, little security flaw with the uh, media thing being publicly announced Uh and uh, they had to to rush and and yeah. patch that since apparently part of the reason that it, that it hadn't been dealt with before was that uh, there was a fairly obscure collection of things that would have to be true about the server and the install and the this and the that before that could be exploited. But of course, once it's publicly known that the exploit is there, it's much more likely that someone will try to exploit it. And so they had to... Uh, had to rush out that uh, patch and we have, you know, 9.7 uh, uh, appearing and then it will be, you know, 9.8 at probably the end of this month with uh, Come Play with Gutenberg. Uh, right, I think, yeah, I think we move on to the other story. Um, WCEU panel discusses progressive WordPress themes, AMP and Gutenberg. Who wants to start with that one? Go on, Sally, you start with that one. Okay, uh, since I just listened to it. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, you know, the, the this was a conversation at uh, WCEU uh, 
with some of the people who are working on various kinds of improvements for WordPress. And one of the big things that I got out of it was that, you know, right now, if you want to have a, a performant version of WordPress, you know, something that loads quickly and et cetera, et cetera, you have to, you know, install plugins and you have to tweak this and you have to adjust that. And, um, you know, for that, you know, large group of, of WordPress users who don't know that much about the web or about WordPress, that's really pretty burdensome. And so these are some of the people who are working on trying to make uh, WordPress more efficient, uh, you know, from the moment it's installed. And so we had some people who are working on things that are in core, some people who are working on things related to Google AMP and uh, Morton, you know, with his uh, WP rig setup that, that helps try to build more of that into themes. And one of the, you know, I don't know a whole lot about progressive web apps or uh, service workers or, or any of these things, but one of the things that was pointed out was, well, there are some plugins you can install now that use service workers, but the way service workers are loaded, you can't use two of those plugins because you will have a conflict and, and things will screw up. And therefore, it's important to have something in core that says here, this is our like one consistent API, and then you can load whichever specific items out of, you know, service workers you think you need. Um, you know, the same way that you can enqueue scripts, uh, but, you know, because WordPress has, you know, this script and, and that script in it, you don't need to re-enqueue those, you know, they're already there. Uh, uh, so, uh, you know, that was interesting. And just then, the, you know, the whole idea that something that is progressive is the idea of, you know, progressive enhancement and that for, uh, you know, that you want something that will uh, function without JavaScript because that's part of what happens in AMP and, and that will, you know, layer on things as your, uh, you know, as, as the visitor's browser has access to them and then above all that you know what the theme designers and the theme developers and the plugin developers and, and so on but in this case particularly the theme developers need to be aware of is that you know you don't have any control over whether the person who installs your theme then decides well i want to use the google amp plugin with that uh, or over any other things that, that they do. And, and that this is about, you know, making things better for the person visiting the website and, and better for the person building the website. Yeah, I thought, I thought it was a great discussion. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it over to John. But before I do that, John, it's, I just want to add this question. I thought it was a really great panel. You know, a lot of these panel discussions aren't all that great, actually, but I actually enjoyed listening to it. Um, but this AMP business, that was the only area that I didn't think... I just I just don't see it myself. Why do you... Have you any sense apart... Is it just purely that it's just an increased power play by Google? Is it really just really about that when it comes to AMP? Well, AMP, the accelerated mobile pages, I think that's definitely something if you are a, a publisher like a news outlet or if you're a, a prolific blogger, if you're publishing stuff on a very regular basis, it's probably something that you should be looking into. 
because what it delivers, instead of delivering like HTML and CSS and JavaScript, it's delivering um, its own custom uh, AMP markup, but it's a stripped down version of the page that loads faster. And and part of this ties into to what the panel was talking about at WordCamp Europe about um, you know WordPress and and what Morton was working on with WP Rig. Um, making it a starter theme that takes advantage of some of these things like uh, service workers, which, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it allows you to still have a working uh, page even if you're not connected and so that JavaScript is still working. Um, So there's a lot of things that have come about in browsers like progressive web apps and stuff like that. And that's, that's more of what this panel was talking about. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'll throw it to Chris. What, what did you think of it? I th- I'm really interested in it in the same way that back in the early 2010s, responsive web design became a thing. I actually built, that's how I started as an agency just, and it was an easy selling point of, you know, implementing responsive, taking business owners and website owners and web application clients onto the mobile web with a responsive first approach. That's not novel or new anymore, but it was a little while ago. So I'd actually just like to quote the article here. It says, progressive development practices make it possible for a website or app to work offline, load quickly, deliver content on unreliable networks, and use device-specific features to provide a better experience for the user. For me, in the online education space with a you know, learning management system, that is kind of the holy grail of where we would like to go in terms of what I call portable content. If you can continue the learning experience on a a subpar internet connection or even offline, at least in pieces, if you've like left the building, but can continue. That's really interesting to me. Um, In terms of portable content, there's really only just audio books, podcasts, and uh, music, but there's so much room for other things that web applications do that can kind of come into that space. If the technology made it was easier outside of mobile apps. So that's, I'm personally really interested in that. I'm, I'm curious if progressive will become a thing like responsive became a thing or if it will remain in the background as something more that engineering focuses on, but the, the public doesn't really understand or, or see the value in it. Yeah, that's some great points. Thanks, Chris. Right, on to the next story. Um, <laughs> how old are successful tech entrepreneurs? <laughs> Thanks, John. Uh, um, so. I'll let John introduce this one. What's this about, John? So this was a, a article. There, there's kind of a, a commonly held belief, especially around VC investors, that the most successful entrepreneurs are, skew younger, uh, and they, you know, look at examples like, oh, look at Mark Zuckerberg. He was only, you know, 23 or when he he founded Facebook. And this has turned out to be a bit of a myth because there's a study that that showed a person who is 40 is over twice as likely to found a successful startup as a person who's 25. 
And, you know, if you're in your 40s or even 50, you're, the odds are more in your favor than if you're, you know, 20. Actually, like as you go down toward 20, like the odds are increasingly not in your favor that you're going to found a successful startup. And I think it's, a lot of it just has to do with life experience. I mean, I, I, I think one, there's one line in this article that I think really explains it all. And uh, investors like to put money into younger uh, founders because they don't have things like a family or a outside life. They haven't settled down. And so they're 100% devoted to their work. And that's why they like to invest in them. But older people... Which just totally goes back to that, yeah. you know, bro culture of Silicon Valley, right? We're going to yeah. sleep under our desks. And- Crush code. <laughs> um, I thought it was a fascinating article and I really enjoyed reading it. Um, I'm having the plastic surgery done next week, actually. There you go. <laughs> uh, um, I've had the hair dyed, and now I'm, I'm going to have the plastic surgery done. So uh, I'll be ready then. Well, I, John. Uh, um, <laughs> um, I thought we, before I throw it over to Chris, um, well, should, no, at least, oh, yeah, let's do Chris. Um, um, I, I, I thought it kind of, the article brought up so many topics about how, how, mythology really kind of there's a mythology and the and when facts when the facts don't really um support this mythology the facts you just forget about the facts just go people will just go with the mythology rather than the facts uh um and it's been fascinating in so many areas to watch that that um that apart from the scientific method, when it comes to push to shove, a mythology is always much more stronger than um, awkward facts, really. Um, what do you reckon, Chris? There's a common bias called survivorship bias. So, you know, maybe Mark Zuckerberg might make some comments, but he happened to survive as a young entrepreneur <laughs> becoming quite successful. But it's easy to distort the proportion of uh, you know, young founders, startup people that, you know, didn't survive and where's their voice. It's not really represented in the media um, in the same way. So there's a big survivorship bias. And that's actually relevant regardless of age. I would say too, that also some of the older population may not be as vocal on social media. So the signal is not as loud in terms of how extreme that survivorship bias situation is. And the media is not as obsessed with the, you know, 30 under 30 or whatever, it's, there's like this obsession with youth, just like we remember from the pre-internet days when there'd be like TV shows with high school kids, but the actors are actually like 25. Like it's, there's like this obsession with youth. Um, and I would say I'm just, I'm, I'm not surprised by the article. I thought it was, it was cool to read. Um, just to share a, just a little personal thing about me. I didn't even really become an entrepreneur until I was like 25 are 30. I'm 39 now, about to turn 40. But if I think about my 25-year-old self or my 20-year-old self versus my almost 40-year-old self, between the gap between those points, I got a lot of experience managing people, becoming a more strategic thinker, becoming better at communication and marketing, building my network, having a lot of failures 
you know, burning behind me that uh, I learned from. So it's, to me, it's obvious at looking in hindsight that uh, all that life experience, you know, plays out in a, whatever it was, a two times higher likelihood for success as a, as a 45 year old. It's also, we live in a time where people are changing careers, like at a faster and faster rate. So just like, sort of like my story, I, I became an entrepreneur much later, or someone may have a corporate job that like has their side hustle trying to get into the entrepreneurship game. I think that's becoming more and more common to become an entrepreneur later. And the reality is um, there's not a lot of the, 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 the teaching of entrepreneurship and the traditional school system is there's a, there's a lot of opportunity for improvement there. Um, so at, at least they're starting to teach it in some places, whereas as yeah. that just was unheard of when I was in school. And, and even I imagine when you were in school. Yeah. And I, and I think I also am recognizing a trend where I think back in the day, like if you look in the twenties or something like that, 95% of people were entrepreneurs, you know, the, the whatever Smith of whatever trade and doing their thing. And it's, I think we're heading back in that direction. Like entrepreneurship is becoming more and more popular and a way of working in the world that we're heading back towards that, towards that way. And I just want to add one more note I, I had written down here, which was when I go to conferences, tech conferences, or, you know, uh, like entrepreneur mastermind type activities and stuff like that, mm-hmm. I'm hanging out with like 30 plus, 40 plus, 50 plus year olds. You know, there are some younger people there, which is great. I love the diversity. But when I go to these things, the people are about 40 40 years old in the majority, at least the ones that I go to. And I'm not going to them because I want to go hang out with people my age. That's just who shows up. That's great stuff. What do you think, Sally? Experience counts. Uh, you know, there there really isn't a, a way around that, and you know, and and you can see that in in all the like poorly crafted uh, tech uh, job descriptions that uh, recruiting companies put out. Like, you know, because we want we want a developer who has you know five years of experience in a language that was created two years ago. Uh, <clears throat> that uh, you know, people do want experience, and yet there is this cult of of youth. But if you think about it, it is. You know, it it only makes uh, intuitive sense that somebody who has been around enough to have a a chance to try and fail, you know, in in different areas and to learn something about how business works and how people work and is going to have a better chance at succeeding than somebody who has no experience at all. And, you know, the person who has no experience at all might get lucky. And then, yes, that's news because it's so unusual. Uh, it's not news, you know. It, it, it's not newsworthy um, if it happens to everybody all the time. You know what happens to everybody all the time is that they start businesses and the businesses fail. Um, but if you're, uh, you know, older and a little more experienced and maybe have. Uh, you know, saved up some money with which to start out or at least to, you know, cushion yourself against the the period before your business is bringing things in uh, and you've made more connections in the field so you can hire good people. You know, it just seems like your odds would be better. So this, uh, you know, the the cult of youth is a a strange thing and um, 
not by any means uh, universal. There are still, uh, you know, there are still cultures that value age, uh, and uh, there are uh, still professions that value age. I mean, I was an academic, and you know, nobody takes you seriously before you're forty uh, in in academia, um, and. You are going to kind of reverse snobbery, isn't it? Uh, yes. Well, it is. It is assumed that because you have to master a discipline, uh, you aren't going to uh, do that in your first, you know, five years or ten years or or fifteen years, uh, and you know, because number one, people can't afford to retire, uh, and and number two, they d- discover that you know if they do retire, they discover they're kind of bored sitting around. Uh, and, you know, you you have a lot of older people who have retired and are starting some kind of a business, uh, you know, in their sixties. Yeah. Um, where to take this? Um, I was going to ask you, Chris, you know, cause also the kind of uh, mentality the article was describing is also driven by VC. Um, the react, the rea- I would call them the realities of VC investing, which don't really, match up probably um, a bootstrap business, what they're looking for. Um, is there a middle road? Do, do you think there's because of the lack of, um, you know, if you put money in a bank or you, or you invest it in property, but do you think there's a bigger pool of smaller private investors that are not looking for that kind of bust-out company that would do a billion dollars, but they're looking for an investment that just gives them a much better return that they would find in other places? I'm sure there is a middle way. There almost always is. And uh, that actually ties into another one of the articles we might get to today. I'm a bootstrapped entrepreneur, and I do not have a lot of experience with venture-funded startups. But... I have been around the culture of it somewhat. And from my understanding, when I, I, I have had conversations with venture capitalists and what they look for and, you know, those kinds of things, I think they are open to it. They're, they're, they really care most about the people and, you know, the idea. <clears throat> like age, I think there is a stereotype that, you know, people are sleeping under the desk, free coffee, free food, uh, you know, work through the weekend. But from, from the VCs that I've networked with and talked to, it's more about the leadership it's, and the idea and the market size and the numbers as opposed to like the, the financials. And, you know, they can see opportunity in a small startup. If even if the numbers and you know the ARPU and the churn and the CAC and all these numbers are looking good, that uh, but what I do see a lot of, I will say, is that the team that comes into the venture capital startup is real is often young. I was once at a conference that had the same user that's put on by a tech company that had literally the same number of users as I do at Lift Real MS, and they had like a fifty person team. And there was like all these young faces. I'm like, wow, this is, this is, uh, there's just, I could just see the difference. I like stepped inside that world and could see what it would be like to operate without constraints. But the founder and the CEO of that company, it's older than me. He's, he's probably like 55. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I just, just making that note out there. And whereas my team, I typically, 
I, I don't discriminate based on age or anything like that. But what I've found, and I've worked with people of lots of different ages, if I look across the people that work with me now, uh, 80% of them are 30 plus and have families, and which is a different approach than what I saw when I went inside of that startup in Boston. So it's interesting. I just want a quick additional question to Chris, and then we're going to go for our break. I was listening to a podcast, Business Rem- Remanaged by... Um, Danny, Annie. Yeah, anyway. Um, and he was talking, because he's got a specific focus on um, um, online business courses, um, educational businesses. And he, he was talking about, you know, this subculture that I find so nauseating of these... Um, um, he was talking about, um, you know, you know, you know, develop an online course and you make, you know, and you won't have to run it day to day, and it will make you a fortune instantaneously. He was talking about that mythology that's all over the um, learning economy, as I call it. Um, it's, it's everywhere. Um, it's quite nauseating, and he. He had a great, a great insight um, in his last podcast. He said, um, you know, the modern style of business is very, isn't the norm in the human condition of um, most, in most of our history, we were in small villages, towns, we knew the business community. These people, you know, um, you're going to do business like for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, most of your life, you're going to do business with the same people. So they had to look after you because, um, but, um, and then you had the, in the American culture, the um, snake oil merchant that would go to all these towns selling dicey products. And he said um, that, 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 that kind of individual has been, is the kind of digital culture in a way. Um, am I am I just muffling or have I got something? No, that's, that's a really good point. And Danny Any behind that podcast is a good friend of mine. And I've been around uh, his work and his material for a while. But one of his, Danny's main trends that he identifies is that online education or more broadly online business is going mainstream right now. For us in the dangerous middle on this call, that's not news to us, but we're early adopters. We're, we came into this thing and started freelancing, doing everything early. But in the early days, in the Wild West days, there were you know, stories of make money online, grow this giant email list, and you know, launch, and then this, this whole personality just disappears or pops up somewhere else with more snake oil in a different location. Uh, But as we are turning mainstream, that whole Wild West, you know, traveling snake oil salesman with, you know, the dollar bills flying out of the computer screen um, is is really it's just not working like it used to. I remember. Well, is it? Because I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt. But every time I go to my YouTube channel, it's this freaking young geezer with a with a whatever he's got he's got either a sewing machine and a Ferrari in the background. Hi Lopez. He, that gee, I just want to fucking shoot the bastard. Uh, um, nothing personal, mate. But I've just had enough watching your 
interrupting something I want to watch, mate. And and there's a, there seems to be a whole group of these people, and they they must be getting results, Chris, because they you know it's they're coughing up enough money to YouTube, aren't they? Yeah, well, there's a difference between um, like exploiting an inefficiency in the market where they found. <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> like creating real value. So if you're going to do an entrepreneurial venture. I would not want to be somebody who goes for a quick win on some gap I see that could close up very soon. Like figuring out YouTube pre-roll ads with, you know, uh, you know, aspirational kids who are trying to figure out entrepreneurship or whatever. Like that may work still today. I'm not saying the wild west is over. The frontier is still out there, but, and we can't just sit back and rely on the government to like protect us all and lock everything down. I like the open, economics, free market economy. But if people are going to sell dreams, I'm not interested. I'm interested in, in course creators, online business creators that are, they could have like a dream and an aspirational component, but it really needs to deliver reliably and dependably the transformation and the results promised in the marketing. Otherwise, we're just merchants of hope and taking people's money for something that doesn't work. And that is the foundational principle. If you're thinking into getting into online business or creating digital products, like does it work? I think is the fundamental question. And that's when you answer that question. And even if it works like some of the time, you're always trying to make it better and figure out how to solve for people who have more challenging circumstances than some of your customers. That's good. That's fine. You're heading in the right direction, but if you know that you have like a 1%, 2% completion rate and you figured out a marketing funnel that works for paid mm-hmm. acquisition or and people just, they fall out of the program and nobody's sending you testimonials, you have a serious problem on your hands. Right, I thought that was great. I'm going to go for our break, folks, and we'll be back and we've got some more stories to discuss in the second half of this show, folks. Be back in a few moments. Do you want to spend more time making money online? Then use WP Tonic as your trusted WordPress developer partner. They will keep your WordPress website secure and up to date so you can concentrate on the things that make you money. Examples of WP Tonic's client services are landing pages, page layouts, widgets, updates, and modifications. WP Tonic is well known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with full, no question asked, 30 day money back guarantee. So don't delay. Sign up with WP Tonic today. That's wp-tonic.com. Just like the podcast. We're coming back. The psycho man is coming back. Uh, um, so uh, on to the next story. I just thought, I, I thought Danny had a... Um, as I was listening to the podcast, I thought it was a bit um, snowflakey myself as I was listening to it. But... Um, when he came out, I thought that insight that the um, like modern capitalism is a lot of it is based on snake oil sales techniques, basically. I, well, that's been around, you know, since the dawn of time, it seems, and it just keeps taking new forms as people see that, um, you know, I can uh, I can get rich uh, telling people how to get rich. Uh, that's a uh, you know, the kind of MLM sort of, of uh, pyramid scheme. And 
uh, all of that is like, okay, I'm going to sell you this formula. And it doesn't matter whether that formula ever works for you as long as enough of you pay me for the formula. Uh, and, you know, you can make money for a while like that. And then eventually, oh, yeah, eventually people are like, well, you know, forget you. You're, you're just a, a scammer. I'd like to oh, tell a small story. Can, can I just interrupt slightly, yeah. please? I just, yeah, thought that was fan- I just thought that was fantastic, Sally, how you just worded that. I just thought that was really fantastic. Sorry, Chris. So 13 years ago, I was uh, in a little cabin in Fairbanks, Alaska. I was I in was, a little cabin in Alaska. <laughs> and I was trading. All right, you were in a cabin in the woods. With a, a not great internet connection. And most of the time, I was actually not in the cabin. I was with a friend. Uh, it's called ski drawing, where you have sled dogs attached to you, but you're on skis. And we were taking these dogs into a remote glacial region of Alaska that nobody... As as you do, Chris. Yeah. But when I was there, I mean, when I was, when we were back in Fairbanks, this is me getting hustled by the snake oil. I saw a thing on the internet, you know, I was emailing friends and family, letting them know I'm alive. And I got this offer to, if I just fill out all these surveys, I'll get all this money. And I was like, you know what? That sounds great. I've got a little bit of time here in this little cabin. I'm going to... I'm going to pay 50 bucks to get this system. (laughs) It's going to help me, you know, buy more dog food and camping gear and all this stuff. And I remember when the product came through and like, it was just complete junk and total crap. And that guy just disappeared off the internet. And in my head, I'm like, never again. And this is before I was really any kind of online guy or anything. I was like, but you don't want to, I'm just make sure you never end up being that, that, person who's kind of creating that kind of experience for a customer because it feels terrible. Yeah, true. On to the next story. <clears throat> the demand for Gutenberg is not there yet. Um, would you like to explain this one, Sally? Uh, sure. I, this is um, <clears throat> one of uh, Tom McFarlane's uh, articles. And if, if you are a developer and don't read Tom McFarlane, you're missing something. He's a great guy, isn't he? Uh, uh, but, uh, you know, he said, well, some, you know, people have been asking about, you know, why he hasn't built anything related to Gutenberg. And, and what he says is, you know, the, the demand is not there yet. And it's not because Gutenberg is terrible. It's because since Gutenberg hasn't been released and people haven't had a chance to play with it, there, nobody really has a sense of what could be done um, in order to, to be able to ask for anything. Uh, and I think that's that's probably true. There's only a you know a, a fairly small handful of folks who uh, who know things. So basically, what he says is, once Gutenberg is part of Core and becomes the de facto new editor, people will have a need to have their work be compatible with it, but no sooner. Uh, so th- this is why, although you know there are certainly plugin developers uh, that know uh, they have products that you know, where it could be an issue like, you know, advanced custom fields and, you know, Yoast are working very hard already to create compatible stuff. Uh, But in a lot of other areas, it's just not clear yet. And uh, most people are not going to want to build something where they don't have customer demand. Yeah, I thought, uh, yeah, I thought it was like his posts are normally very high quality. He's been on the show and just a great kind of representative of somebody that's contributed a lot to the WordPress community in a consistent and straightforward way, really, I feel. Um, 
I was discussing with uh, this whole business. I, I, in some ways, I just don't know why they just didn't buy Beaver, Beaver Builder and just integrated it into the core WordPress and be done with it. Uh, um, they did it with WooCommerce. They bought WooCommerce. Um, and and I, they I, haven't done any note- noteworthy uh, integrating with it yet. Well, that's that's uh, that's as that's something else we could discuss in the show, uh, uh, but maybe next week. Um, but I, honestly, I, I really don't know why they didn't buy the. You know, there was a number of page builders out there that um, I would have built. Be I would have attempted to buy Beaver Builder, um, um, and I just would have integrated it into the core WordPress. And that be what do you reckon, Chris? That is an interesting thought experiment, and I is that you being tactful, Chris? No, it's just everything <laughs> I hear is always a theory or an assumption. That's that's the way True. I the world. But, especially my mind, Chris. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, I think it would be interesting if they had, you know, integrated a best in breed page builder like Beaver Builder, which is a great product. I was just building a core sales page with Beaver Builder over the weekend, and I, and I had a ball, but. Going back to Gutenberg, this is that dangerous middle thing that I was talking about earlier where uh, there's only so much companies are going to do who live in the future. We're at Lifter LMS. We're preparing for Gutenberg. We always have it open when we're building new tools and doing our stuff. Just And we're getting ready for it. And we have a plan for how to best use it in the online course membership community. But most people don't live in the future. So this is going to happen when it does roll out it's going to be like this, this little chatter of conversation that's happening around it now, which has been great. There's been lots of good challenging conversations and people chipping in and coming into GitHub and doing all this stuff. But when it rolls out, it's going to be a dramatic change where the noise level on the conversation around this is going to go way up. And I think a lot of companies are, there's going to be a period of catch up. Like this most, I would hazard a guess or an assumption that most WordPress product plugins and themes are not going to have any Gutenberg-ready uh, stuff done in advance of the re- the public release. So that would be that's my assumption, though. I would, ag- I, would ag- I would agree with you there. Yeah. Um, what do you reckon, John? Why didn't they just buy Beaver Builder and just you know? The world will never know. But <laughs> but with Tom's article, this kind of calls back to our first story where they're in in the next version of, of WordPress, the minor point release, they're gonna add a you know banner for people to try Gutenberg. Because if you look at the plugin page, there's only ten thousand active installs at this point. I can tell you for a fact that if you're not one of the people who listens to WordPress podcasts like this one or reads WordPress blogs, then you probably have no awareness that Gutenberg is even a thing. Yeah. I, I can tell you that with dead certainty that a lot of agencies out there still are not preparing for this because they're just not aware of it because they're not knee deep in the WordPress community. Uh, they just look at WordPress as a tool to get stuff done and build a site and that's all the thought that they put toward it. And uh, my concern more is toward a large part of the WordPress ecosystem, which is the like theme forest themes, which uh, were built and then have never been updated. 
because this is how people perceive WordPress. It doesn't matter if you're got somebody like me or Sally or you to, to build them a site or if they hooked up a theme off theme forest or array themes or elegant themes to them, it's all WordPress. And when Gutenberg drops and these themes that haven't been updated in three or four years don't work correctly because nobody's develop, developing them, that could be a potential bad thing that happens. So and I, I just want to add for the entrepreneurs yeah. out there, when there's blood in the water, there's opportunity. So yep. for agencies to come in and fix or new products to, you know, true to take advantage. Sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to. No, go for it. Yeah, no, you're, you're, it. you're both right. But I think long term, I think, yeah, long term, I agree. Well, it's not agree. The em- it's more emphasis than yes or no. Um, I I lean more to the emphasis that John's pointing out in this conversation is that it's a, another, it could be another very damaging, uh, which is nothing to do with Gutenberg. Um, I I've, I just feel um, I would have just bought Beaver Builder and I yeah. just, I would have taken a more long-term, I would have integrated it in the core of WordPress.com, but I would have had it as a plug-in option um, for WordPress.org, and I know the the people that would never happen. Um, I don't really understand why it wouldn't happen. Uh, um, um, but the higher ups in WordPress will never accept that, and we went down this path. But I never understand it really. But there we go. Um, on to the next story, um, and I'm going to butcher this guy's name. So, Maida. John Maida. Maida, thank you, thank you, John Maida. Designing inclusive teams and products. Who wants to start off with this one? Go let let Chris. He should oh, start. Chris is entirely welcome to. I I, I came across it and and I have opinions, but um, uh, Chris is oh, yeah, again, our, our entrepreneur and runner of teams. So. I would just I would just say it, the article struck me more philosophically about the power of inclusion and what that means is it's so easy to get dogmatic or polarized in anything but in the context of building a business or taking a stance on an issue or politically um but what what I really liked about uh what the what the the guy in the video, somebody who grabbed his name was saying is things really started opening up for him. And when he started opening his mind and he was a Asian American guy, I believe he started, he spent some time in Eastern Kentucky with coal miners and traveling around and realizing all these different ways to see the world. And one of the examples, one of the, the things that he noticed with the coal miners is after spending 30 minutes with him, he realized like, oh, this is why they don't like Obama and how it's affected their world, where he was probably just like, Obama is, you know, the best thing since sliced bread. Um, But all that is to say that I think that inclusion is the total hack, if you will, for building great teams, building great products, understanding your market. He also made a comment about getting very close to pain. 
it, whatever your industry is and whatever, you know, if you're serving small business owners or you're serving teachers or you're serving companies that are trying to get, um, you know, more leads in the door, it's, it's about getting out of, out of the building and including their perspective in your thought process. It's if you are just like inside your head all the time and not open, you just miss out on all these opportunities. So that's the big takeaway for me. And I think the best way to kind of make that actionable advice is to go to places that make you uncomfortable, both geographically, socially, culturally, philosophically, and spend some time there with an open mind and don't just pick a side, like really listen to what this particular group is saying and ask questions and try to get to the root of where they're coming from, identify the assumptions that make them who they are. Um, and, and one of the, I would say, and final thing I'll add here is that he had an insight that because he was used to working remotely, he kind of had like this one dimensional universe. And then he went to this coal mining town that like it had a street and then the house is along the street. So it's like this, you know, uh, oh, I actually call that the one dimensional worldview. He was at like a zero. And then he went to like, you know, some other village somewhere and there's a bigger town that's like two dimensional. So there's all these different ways of seeing the world. And we just make the mistake of this is the biggest assumption that causes the most problem. And also if you get inside the opportunity by knowing that we don't see the world as it is, we see it as we are. And when you're open to inclusive ways of thinking, that's where the real creativity and insights come from. Right, to you. Sally, what was your right. thoughts about this? Well, so I, I think I actually saw this in, you know, an email from Adobe or something because it came from their uh, conference and it interested me. Um, in the in the first place, because John Mayer works for Automatic, and I never, I mean, like I noticed when he got hired, and I think he was CEO for a while, and and now he's, you know, his his job title is is actually, um, <clears throat> you know, global head of of computational design and and inclusion, uh, and. Uh, I thought, well, you know, maybe I should listen to this about, you know, his his philosophy and how that ties into the fact that um, Automatic is a completely distributed company and and so on. And it it was very interesting for all the reasons that Chris said about this kind of experience of saying, oh, you know, from my perspective here, I because I've read stuff or studied stuff or whatever, I think I know what people in this place are like and, and what matters to them and, or, or, you know, but when I actually go there and talk to them, I discover, oh, that what these people are, these people are really like this and they care about that and they do this because of, of something else. And, um, you know, the, the importance of really getting that, um, uh, you know, up close and, and personal perspective and that if you don't either, you know, go to those places or include people from those places in your teams and your discussions you aren't going to be able to create something that that's useful uh, for them and you know you're you're going to have a, a, a narrower understanding as a, a human being and that this is is part of why uh, you know having a a broad away, array of, of different uh, cultures and and viewpoints and geographic locations and 
you know, on what, what whatever, uh, you know, scale on, on which one can be diverse uh, as part of your organization is so valuable uh, to being able to create something that is of value to uh, people who use it. Yeah, before I throw it to John, um, it always fascinated me. Um, we're always trying to see other people in one dimension, either good, bad, they're, they're this, they're that, and I'm just as bad as anybody else about. Um, but we are very aware, well, probably ones that think a little bit more aware ourselves that we're multidimensional, we're good, bad, bit of grey, we could be generous, we could be mean. Um, we've got all these things going on in our minds and we try and control things, but our mouths, especially if you've got a mouth like me, you know, um, it just pours out. Um, what do you reckon, John? No, I thought this was a great talk. And to, to call back what Chris and Sally were saying, every person, within every single person, there's like a universe, meaning that every single person on the earth like has different experiences and they think in a unique way. No two people are the same. And something that is good for product development or just, you know, business, forget anything else, forget like, uh, you know, morals, forget, you know, identity politics or anything like that. But having diversity and inclusivity in your team is good for business because you if you if you have a bunch of 25 year old white guys in you know silicon valley trying to design a product you're going to get a bunch of products that solve the needs of 25 year old white guys in silicon valley but when you have different uh people with different viewpoints and different life experiences and different ways of thinking it allows you to design products and experiences and services for a whole array of people and that benefits your company. And, and that's the crux of like what I got with this. And there's a line in here that, that I want to focus on where you said, being inclusive means welcoming the unknown. And that's something that we have to do and, and recognizing that uh, in each of us, we have our preconceptions of how the world works and we see everything through our eyes. Uh, but it's good to connect with other people because we realize that everybody else has the same thing. They, they see the world through their eyes. And only by connecting with other people can we get a different perception of the world. Can I add one more thing? Yeah, yeah. sure. I just want to say that I think this is the big opportunity for the WordPress community. There was another article on our agenda for today about image compression mm -hmm. and, and optimizing images, which is cool, but that's only really relevant to website builders and developers. I think WordPress, the WordPress community and the, you know, the people that make the products um, and the themes are sometimes just too focused on themselves. But if you look outside of the website building community and optimizing for the web and look at the world's great problems, whether that's feeding itself, education, um, I mean, there's so many big problems outside of the tech. Build products to that, that approach like big problems. That's, I, I would just like to see more of that in the WordPress ecosystem. You know, if you look at things like the success of 
uh, Airbnb, you know, that's about, or Uber, these are about problems that, you know, homeowners looking for a little extra cash or people who are just like so dissatisfied with the taxi industry. It's outside of text. It's outside of tech. I mean, the, the app makes it possible, but we're solving a problem that's happening boots on the ground out there in the wor- on the real world. And that's the part of the success story there. I think the WordPress community needs to look outside more. Um, I've got to really pull you up with that narrative. You just come out, Chris, really. Um, you've just described two companies that have their positive side. You know, like I'm not going to throw them totally under the bus because the narrative that you've just given about those particular two companies is true. But there's another na- there's another side of that narrative as well, you know, like Uber um, hiring people, you know, your daughter might get into a Uber and she might be raped by the driver because they can't be bothered um, to do proper background checks that a licensed taxi has to go through, especially in London. And their license has just, in London, just been given back because they sat their CEO and got a, a more um, a person on message um, and the London market is one of the biggest markets in Europe and they hired uh, a lot of very expensive lawyers um, and they've managed and they've made a lot of promises to the regulative board in, um, that regulates taxis um, in London, they've made a lot of promises, but their track record is appalling, um, not only externally, but also how they treat their employees. And it goes back to this podcast again, um, as you were talking, as you were coming out of that, coming out of that narrative that I really disagree with you, Chris, is that this podcast game, the business remanaged um because he was like he was describing there's a he was another part of it was he was saying there's a lot of companies that um there's a shoe company you buy one pair of shoes and they donate and a pair of shoes to the third world yeah he was saying there's a lot of that going on but the actual core of the company is pretty rotten. You know, the reality of the company is not that great, but it, this is just kind of um, um, just painting over the cracks, really. Well, I'm, just, I'm not saying that the execution is flawless and without room for improvement. I'm just mostly talking about getting outside of the building of tech when, when building tech products. Like, yeah, and I mean management of a company, and you know integrity, and taking good care of the people who serve. Who I think it really comes. Sorry, interrupt again. I think yeah. it really comes down to integrity. Um, really comes. Are you prepared to do something that will hurt your back pocket? Are you gonna really do something that you know's right, but not destroy you financially? Because that's a, that's you're up in it, but will hurt the company on the short term. And maybe a little bit on the medium term, but it's the right thing to do. Or when it really comes to push to shove, that all that really matters is the bottom line and making as much money in that quarter as possible. Yeah. I mean, the triple bottom line is all about money is just 
but you also factor in the people and the environment. And I think if a company isn't operating without valuing all those things to a same level, money, people, and, you know, community or environment, that's, I mean, that's not a new idea, but that's the holistic idea. That's the full picture. And not all companies behave or, or, or value. Well, people, people don't behave, do they? You know? yeah. Yeah. Well, why are you surprised that companies don't behave? Because one, not. Because they're made of people and people in general yeah. don't behave, do they? And the internet tends to exacerbate that naughtiness to a very high level, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, I think we've end it now. I think we've had a great discussion. Actually, it's wandered a little bit, but I think um, we've had a great discussion. Um, Sally, how can people find out more about you and what you're up to? You can find me at wpfangirl.com. You can find the meetup at eastbaywp.com, and I'm at Sally Getch on Twitter and most other places. And Chris, how can people find more about what you're up to and what your company's doing? You can find me at lifterlms.com or over on my podcast called LMS Cast. And also, if you're watching this live, uh, or I'm not sure when the, when the episode's going out, um, we're doing a webinar with Jonathan on Monday, July 9th at noon Pacific, 2018. <laughs> That I would encourage. I'm getting hot. I'm getting hot already. <laughs> yeah. but I've just got all hot, actually. I've just got, I've got very. <laughs> so we're gonna take. We're gonna talk about some mistakes that people make and how to avoid them in the course creation space. And I'm really looking forward to that. If you need help finding where to register to get on the go, come to the webinar. Just send an email to team at lifterlms.com, or hit up Jonathan, and we'll we'll get you the link. But so that's coming. And if you're watching this or listening to this later, uh, we also post all our educational webinars uh, for view forever. Um, so you can find that on liftrelms.com as well. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, I did a terrible job. <laughs> you saved me there. Thank you so much, Chris. Um, and John, um, how can people find out more about you, John? Well, you can <clears throat> head on over to my website, which is lockdownseo.com. And I would encourage you to come check out my YouTube channel as well. I'm posting stuff uh, at least every week. I think I posted two videos last week. Getting more subscribers. It is pretty awesome. How do the people get a hold of you? Oh, it's really easy. Um, obviously, I'll be on a webinar Monday. Uh, uh, but also, <laughs> go to the WV Sonic website and um, find out more about the podcast, um, we've got um, some great posts about Lifter NMS um, and about learning management systems. Um, we've got a couple of articles, really long articles coming up um, this month that I will be writing. Um, I'll be writing about um, choosing the best hosting provider. Um, um, I've, I'm going to tick on Brian Jackson about his quadrant. Um, so it's going to have to be pretty good, isn't it? Oh, I'm going to have it come on my face. There's going to be tons of stuff on the WP Tonic website. Um, if you want to join us live for this discussion, and we like you to join us live, go to the um, the WP Tonic Facebook page, and you'll be able to watch it live um, next Friday at 8:30 Pacific Standard Time, and we'll have another panel. And we've got Matt from the Matt Report joining us next Friday. It's Friday the 13th. 
what could go wrong. But um, Matt, it's my birthday. All <laughs> oh, right, that's great. Yeah, there you uh, go. We're all if you join us. But um, Matt's been on fire. He's um, produced about three to four videos on his own YouTube channel that I think he's been on spot on on um, his observations about various things that have been going on in the WordPress um, ecosystem. So he's going to be joining us and I've always got time for Matt. Um, don't always agree what he says, but he's a straight talker and another great member of the WordPress community. So we'll see you next week where we're going to have another great discussion about WordPress and the internet in general. We'll see you next week, folks. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to WP Tonic, the podcast that gives you a spoonful of WordPress medicine twice a week.